everyone, and welcome to today's episode. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, Roy Kwan, who was formerly the managing partner at CVC Capital Asia, managing CVC Capital's Asian operations. CVC Capital is one of the largest private equity firms in the world, managing over $109 billion in assets. Roy recently retired in 2018 and currently manages his own private funds. Today, Roy and I will be simplifying leverage buyouts, which is a type of acquisition in business. I am pleased to have him on the show. So without further ado, welcome, Roy, and thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me, Logan. Uh, Before we jump into today's topic, the first question I would like to ask is, I would love to hear your story on how you got into finance and how did that eventually lead you to joining uh, the private equity industry in Asia? Sure. Um Well, I uh, really did not know much about the industry prior to going to business school. Uh, I attended the Wharton School uh, back in 94 and 95, and uh, I learned about the industry uh, through the school. And uh, in my second year, I thought this could be a really interesting job. And uh, I liked it because I think there are aspects of it that were similar to banking and consulting and accounting, all tied up into one, as well as management and operations. Uh, So I really thought I could be uh, pretty good at that. Uh, in my second year at Wharton, I took uh, my advanced study project. Uh, that's a project that you work uh, on a paper with a professor. And uh, I decided to make my advanced study project about uh, private equity. And uh, that did two things. One, it gave me a lot of uh, insights into the industry. and I could research things on my own. But also, I could use my research uh, when I was talking to firms and interviewing them for uh, jobs. Um, at that time, by the way, uh, this is back in 1994, 95. There were very few in, uh, students that were interested in this uh, type of position. Out of my class of 750 students, I think there were less than five people really seriously pursuing this. Uh, everybody was going for jobs in banking and consulting because that was much more common or more prevalent. Uh, and uh, uh, firms were recruiting on campus. At the, uh, for private equity, no one recruited on campus. So I really had to uh, stick it out and do a lot of research and a lot of planning on my own to find a, a, a job in the industry. And eventually I did. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, I think what one lesson I learned was uh, you don't have to do what everyone else do, does. Uh, but if you do that, you really have to work uh, hard uh, to find what you like and find the position you like. Great. Now, I did read that you attended Georgetown University for your undergraduate degree, and previously you mentioned the Wharton School of Business for your MBA in finance. Uh, Just a little curious of what were your experiences from both schools like, and how did it shape your future career path, and what did you enjoy learning at each school? Sure. Uh, At my undergraduate school, that was really more of a liberal arts education, so I majored in economics and also in English uh, literature. So uh, quite different things. And uh, I really uh, ha- didn't have a, a pre-professional uh, uh, type of planning during my college years. I think things are a little bit different now. But back then, we, we just went to college a little bit more just to study and learn new things. And um, so th- that was a bit about my undergraduate degree. Uh, and uh, uh, it, it, really, my interest in business uh, developed a bit later. Uh, so I worked for... Uh, four years before I went to business school and then um, I attended business school. I really liked it. Uh, I, I liked working as well. I thought I, I really learned a lot. And, um, and then, you know, one, one thing connects after another, you know, we, I, uh, when I started learning about private equity or venture capital, 
I really got interested. And then, uh, as I mentioned, I just dove deeper and did my own research. Uh, and the, the, I ended up where I, I ended up. Great. Now, uh, going a little bit into your finance career, could you give a brief introduction to what CVC Capital Partners does? And specifically, what did you do for CVC Capital? Sure. Uh, CVC is a private equity and a private credit firm. Uh, so uh, we're an alternative asset manager, uh, uh, but we, there are only two ask, uh, businesses, private equity and private credit. Within private equity, there were four uh, funds or four strategies. One was Europe and U.S. buyouts. Uh, the second is Asian private equity, uh, which was a mixture of uh, buyouts and uh, uh, joint control deals. A third strategy is called strategic opportunities, which is investing in uh, businesses for a longer term. So rather than just uh, holding out for five years, holding out for maybe seven or even uh, nine years. And the fourth strategy is growth, investing in uh, younger companies which with higher growth, uh, mainly in software and technology. Uh, so those are the four different private equity strategies. And then within private equity, there are a uh, private credit. There are a number of strategies. Most of it is related to leveraged loans. So making what's called uh, first lien uh, loans, uh, mostly just uh, sponsor or PE backed uh, companies. And then also some uh, liquid strategies, uh, trading of, of, of loans and, and debt. And then, um, some uh, CLO business as well. I, I worked at uh, CBC for 21 years and all of it in the Asian private equity strategy. And uh, while I was there, I worked on a number of aspects of the business. One would be the deal side of the business. That, that means origination, evaluation, due diligence, closing and monitoring and exit, exiting deals. The second part was more about the business and the strategy. So uh, what do we do in terms of opening new offices or covering new regions or looking into new sectors of how, how do we plan our budget and how do we plan our human resources and our teams. And the third aspect of, of this type of job is fundraising. So every uh, four years or so, we have to go back on the road and uh, meet our investors to fundraise. Uh, and we also each year have to uh, keep in touch with our investors about the progress of our our. Uh, uh, funds. So uh, there's an investor relations aspect of the business as well. So now moving on to the private equity section uh, and the leverage buyouts, uh, private equity is a quite a broad term for private e- private investments. Uh, as I know, you specialize in LBOs, also known as leverage buyouts. Can you explain what a leverage buyout acquisition is and what is the goal as an investor of an LBO and do all buyouts take on leverage? Sure, sure. An LBO, uh, I think very, if you take a simplified example, it's like buying a small apartment building, right? Uh, you, uh, you buy it and, uh, you, you, the difference is you don't live in it. You're, uh, you rent it out. And what you're do- trying to do is you're trying to constantly improve the building and improve its prospects for renting it out to tenants. So, uh, uh so when you, uh, uh, find an apartment building, you, of course, perform due diligence. You look at the location, you look at what its historic rental yields were like, uh, you look at uh, historic utilization or uh, uh, of the building, et cetera, et cetera. You look at the condition of the building, the physical condition of the building as well. What are the maintenance requirements every year, et cetera. When you uh, do all that due diligence, you'll come uh, to a set of projections. 
a, a reasonable set of projections of what you can, uh, what kind of rental income you can uh, expect going forward. And then also you can plan your expenses each year. So there, there will be maintenance and repair expenses, expenses for people to operate the building, and then also some capital expenditures to improve the building or at least maintain it in a good condition. When you put all those assumptions together into a, a, a simple financial model, you'll see that the building throws off a certain amount of cash flows per year. Um, and that cash flow can be used uh, uh, to partially uh, pay off uh, any loans or interests that you use to finance the deal or uh, dividend yourself, or you can reinvest it back in the, in the business, in, the, in this case, the apartment building. So uh, really buying a business is no different. You're uh, looking at the prospects for its revenues and its profit. You're, you're looking at the capital expenditures needed for that business to keep going. And then you're making decisions about what to do with the cash flows that are uh, produced. You know, part of it could be to reinvest in the business. Part of it could be used to uh, buy another building um, or buy another business. And part of it could be used to uh, pay pay off interest and uh, uh, principal of loans. And, and uh, you know, you really, when you do that work, you also should factor in what are the things that you can do to make it grow more, in, in, increase its cash flow, and also what are the risks that you can encounter uh, over the next several years. You know, uh, what happens when there's an economic downturn in the neighborhood? You know, then you better make a scenario where that uh, that event happens and see what happens. And make sure that you're protected all the time. Yeah, and to okay. answer your question about the, do all buyouts take on leverage? Most do. Uh, however, sometimes, uh, particularly uh, in some sectors where the business does not have predictable cash flows, you may buy business all with equity. But that would mean that the business has to grow a lot at a very high rate on its own. Great. Uh, so you talked about right uh, leverage. So that's pretty much just taking on debt, and you would have to pay these interest, interest, you know, the interest payments back to the bank since you are borrowing money. So basically, what you're saying is that the cash flows that the company is already doing based on their operations, right? They take would take those cash flows, and they would hopefully or consistently pay off the interest interest payments every year using their cash flows. And eventually when they do sell it, they can use uh, the current value or what it's, what the company is worth now to eventually sell it and then pay off the, the, the loan uh, that, that you issued to the bank. That's correct. Yeah. So, um, so from what I have read, there are really two main ways to determine whether a company is a good investment, which is through qualitative analysis, the company's management and expertise in a market, and financial analysis, which is basically the overall financial health of the company. Now, I was wondering what character characteristics do you find important in evaluating a company you want to buy or take private, such as cash flow, net income, valuation, and management team? And what do they tell you about a company? Sure. Um, I think the first thing that uh, we tended to look at is the quality of, or, of the industry that, that the business operates in. That, that probably is the number one driver of whether a business succeeds or not. So if an industry has, uh, is growing, that's a big help. Right? So obviously, uh, if, if you get into the tobacco industry, that, uh, that's declining uh, quite, quite markedly year by year. So it's, it's, it's going to be tough for any business to succeed in that sector. Um, but the quality of the industry means, uh, first of all, having growth, but also that there are not too many players 
And hopefully you're investing in a company that is a top three player with a decent market share and some market power. That is, that is probably the first thing that's most critical. Uh, the second thing, of course, is uh, whether the company is really offering value or sustain, has a sustainable com- competitive advantage. So um, uh, is it uh, uh, solving an, a problem uh, for businesses or consumers? Uh, is it something that's uh, uh, less replaceable or less su- substitutable? And uh, that does uh, when they are selling their service or product, uh, does the business model make sense? Does it make a profit or generate cash flow you know, uh, for each uh, transaction? Certainly, evaluating the company's cash flows and projections is very important as well. Buying in at the right price is important. And of course, wrapping it all together is, do you have the management team that uh, that can really uh, take that business and do something more with that business? Uh, you know, is that a management team have all the functions and skills required uh, to operate that business and take it forward. You know, uh, so really it's a, when you evaluate a company and a deal, uh, you have to take all of these things into account. So I, I, I just came up with this in my mind, this hypothetical situation. I was just curious of your opinion. So let's say hypothetically, there is a company you really like, you meet the management team. They seem like a great team. You could work with them. That's the qualitative side, positive. But when you do a financial analysis of the company, their balance sheet says they have negative cash flow and you could identify they have an inconsistent net income. So my question then becomes, do you need a balance between the two before you buy the company or do you prioritize one over the other? Because after all, you are trying to improve the company as a whole. Uh, correct. Uh, those The situation you described it could be very interesting because of uh, the, the, the business on its own with, with that kind of track record that you, you described, a, a kind of unstable or unpredictable track record you know, is in a way interesting because uh, that will drive away a lot of other competitors or a lot of people won't be interested in that business, particularly in the private equity industry. Private equity industry really values stability and predictability of earnings and cash flow. Now, uh, the, the key thing is uh, whether that business, whether earnings are un- unstable or volatile because of previous management or was it because of the business model itself or the sector that it's in, right? If the earnings and cash flow were volatile because it's in the commodity sector, for example, and there are unpredictable changes in demand and supply and prices, uh, that would be, uh, mean it's uh, probably unfixable by anybody. However, if the earnings were uh, unstable or un- unpredictable previously because of a poor management or a bad strategy, but the business fundamentals are pretty strong, then there's something that uh, could make the deal very interesting. So uh, really, it depends on uh, the source of the volatility. Great. Thank you. Um, thank you for clarifying that for me. Um, so the next question I wanted to ask was, could you give an example of a leveraged buyout and how it works? For example... On your company's website, there was a leverage buyout on Hong Kong broadband network. Uh, I love to hear its story and its success so far. Sure, uh, that uh, Hong Kong broadband network uh, at that time was the number two residential broadband company in Hong Kong. Uh, in Hong Kong at that time, there were four players: uh, one very big incumbent um, called HKT. Hong Kong broadband was uh, probably number two, but not not really a clear number two and two other players that were slightly smaller. 
um, the, the uh, business is really just making connecting broadband through buildings in Hong Kong. But uh, what, what was unique about it is that at, at that time, it was an all-fiber network already, and uh, they were able to deploy their uh, network very inexpensively because in Hong Kong, the buildings are very dense, and you may even have 30 apartments per floor. So they were able to uh, connect all of Hong Kong in what's known as a metro Ethernet uh, uh, structure. So you, the, all of the buildings are, are uh, connected to broadband like your office. Right, rather than needing a fiber connection all everywhere, and it was really, uh, and therefore the cost of, of connecting a, a household is very, very low. And uh, this company discovered a way to deploy their network or uh, install their network very uh, cheaply and quickly, and also charge very low prices. So Hong Kong is one of the lowest broadband prices in the, in the world. And uh, uh, the company really wanted to continue to take market share from the leader, and. Uh, so we uh, identified this company. Uh, the a, a previous owner of the business wanted to sell the business and move on to something a little with a little higher growth, uh, move on to other businesses in media and then uh, eventually in e-commerce. So he decided to sell this business, which is a rather uh, you know lower growth and more stable business. The, uh, but the management team wanted to stay with this business. They felt they could do more to improve the business. So we backed the management team to do an MBO, uh, management buyout. And uh, 80 of the managers of the business co-invested with us. So that was a good sign because they're investing their own capital with us uh, uh, in the business. But we gave them a higher share of the upside uh, if they perform well. And that, that's a positive uh, alignment of interest. They, they share the downside with us. They could lose their money if we lose our money. But they could make, they could make more money than us if we do perform well. And uh, uh, three years later, we were able to list the company on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, and we made about 3.8 times our money in about three years, which is a very, very high return. Um, and uh, even, this is another note, but even I think by the first year, we already recouped uh, probably 40% of our equity because we were able to raise more fa- debt financing and issue a, a dividend to the shareholders. You know, so our, if we invested $100, if, uh, we got 40 back quickly, and then at the end of the whole deal, in three years, we got 380. So that's a pretty good return. Um, uh, and uh, you, you, the, all the ingredients are there. The, the, the business, the industry is a pretty decent industry because there were not too many players. They had a good market share. And the second thing is good management team, a good strategy. It's a predictable business. The business model makes sense. It makes money on each uh, customer. And uh, we financed it correctly and paid the right price for it. Now, going back to LBO um, fundamentals, uh, why do private equity firms finance 50 to 60% of their acquisitions with debt rather than paying 100% if they have all the capital to do so? Sure. Yeah, good question. The, the private equity firms are looking for an IRR or a rate of return of about 20 to 25% per year. All right. And if you have a company that's growing its earnings by 20 to 25% per year, that then that, that is one way to achieve that return, right? Because presumably if you buy into that company, uh, buy into that company, uh, and, uh, it's, uh, uh, buying at a hundred dollars and it's uh, earnings are growing 25% per year. Theoretically, it, the price of the company should go up 25% per year. However, most companies don't grow at that rate. Uh, most mature businesses don't go, go at that rate for a long period of time. 
right? So if the company is only growing at 12.5% per year, right, uh, you're not going to achieve a 25% ROR if you finance it all with equity. So that's why if you finance it half with equity and half with debt, roughly, right, uh, then uh, uh, you can achieve your 20 to 25% IR because uh, the, the debt cost is quite a bit lower. Uh, and these days, it, it might might even be something like 5% per year, right, and, and in terms of interest cost. But uh, the, the earnings are growing 12.5%, uh, but uh, your, your each dollar of your equity is uh, uh, working much harder or getting a much higher return versus the previous case where you financed $100 of the equity. So that, that's the main reason why private equity firms use leverage. A leverage can be your friend uh, for, for equity holders, uh, but you have to make sure you don't uh, take on too much uh, because if you take on too much, you can get into trouble. So I just want to clarify kind of what you said. All right. So let's say that a company has earnings of 30% and it's it's a really good company. So would then a private equity firm, would they... Or would any any business really would they buy it one hundred percent with all the capital? Or and then because you said like let's say one company is ten percent when it comes to their returns, so they're not completely consistent. So then then you would take on debt because right you don't want the risk of possibly buying it whole and it doesn't get the returns that you wanted. So I was just curious about that situation. Sure, sure. Uh, in in a in growth private equity, uh, you will often see companies where their earnings are growing uh, 25 or 30% per annum, as you described. For those, uh, you uh, would finance it 100% with equity. That makes sense because you're getting a high enough return uh, just through the earnings growth. And those type of companies will likely want to reinvest all their cash flows, if any, into growing the business further, getting more customers, getting more products out, uh, and uh, et cetera, or expanding into new markets. Um, uh, or those businesses may be uh, growing their revenues or earnings at that rate, but they, they're consuming cash at this point in time because they need to invest, right? Invest in all those new products or customers or countries, as I mentioned. Um, in the other case, when it, the company is only growing at 10% per annum, indeed, that's where you have to use leverage in order to meet the hurdle or, or threshold return of 20 to 25%. Great. Thank you for clarifying that. And uh, moving on to our next question is, what are the risks of leverage buyout? Can an LBO fail? If so, how and how do you prevent your investment uh, companies from failing? Yes. Uh, well, uh, LBOs can fail. And there were uh, quite a few failures, to, uh, to be honest, after the 2008 financial crisis. So uh, in, in uh, that period, uh, there were a couple of factors that drove the LBOs to fail. The first one is uh, firms paying too much or too high of a price for a business. So um, uh, when, when you pay a higher price, uh, let's say you pay uh, 14 times EBITDA for a business and you finance it seven times uh, debt to EBITDA with debt and seven, seven times with equity, but that seven times debt to equity is quite high, right? And if, if uh, the, the, economy turns down and the, the company's revenues and earnings turn down, then it won't be able to service its debt. And the, those loans typically have covenants attached to it. So the, the company must meet certain financial metrics in order to uh, that the debt uh, continues. 
Otherwise, the banks can say, uh, you breached the covenant. Your financial picture is much less healthy. We need you to you know, restructure your debt or we need, we want to be paid back uh, quicker or we want you to pay penalties. So uh, that, that's when LBOs can fail. Uh, it's when there's too much leverage, when your uh, business model is no longer working or when your strategy is no longer, or your plan is not working. Um, then, then um, it, it can be quite dangerous if you have too high levels of debt. Great. Now, so if you don't pay back your loan and you default on your loan, uh, what happens to the company that you are in possession of? Does that go to the bank or what happens to the company? Good question. A, a couple things can happen. Uh, it, there may be a, the banks will, will if, if it's a severe case, uh, the banks will normally uh, certainly take control of the situation, right? Uh, and they, they will uh, uh, decide what to do, uh, uh, what is in the, their best interest. Uh, they could either sell the business to someone else, right? And then um, use the sale proceeds to repay themselves first. And if the sale price is a little bit higher than the overall amount of debt, they may, they may be able to pay some residual value to uh, the equity holders. There may be a more severe case where uh, the, the business uh, really is worth less than the debt. And in that case, the, the banks may want to take a haircut. In other words, they sell the business and uh, it's uh, the value is lower than the debt amount and they have to take a, a haircut um, and they repay them, themselves, for example, 60% of their value or their loan outstanding. Um, so there are a number of scenarios uh, that can come out of this type of situation. But uh, normally, uh, in the, it, when it's in the beginning stages, the banks will try to work with the equity sponsor or the private equity firm to work something out. The, the, pri the private equity firm could be asked to put up more equity to uh, fund the business and help it recover. That would probably be the first thing that the banks ask for. The second situation is when the banks start to take control and either try to sell the business uh, and recover the, their loan value. Great. Thank you for uh, clarifying that. And my next question then becomes, as an investor, how do you decide when to sell the company you bought or continue investing in it, especially if it's struggling? Yeah. Well, uh, there are two scenarios, or probably three. One would be uh, if the company is uh, uh, meeting its plan every year, and uh, uh, i.e., uh, the, most likely the plan was that the company's the, the return on equity is uh, about 20 to 25% per year. So um, uh, in that scenario, uh, the, the private equity firm would evaluate a time uh, to sell based on whether they feel, that, uh, for example, if it's earning uh, 20 to 25% per year and uh, it's already uh, past four years or so, and that the prospects for increasing that rate of return are not high, then uh, the firm at that point could achieve a two times money on money uh, multiple return, right? That may be a time to consider exiting uh, because uh, the, the the investment achieved its objective, right? And the, the deal team and the management team don't see the prospects of improving that further. In fact, they, they probably see that the returns might go down, uh, decrease, excuse me, uh, if, if they keep holding longer, right? So that, uh, but that's a you know a good a good scenario. Uh, there could be a more medium scenario where the business is a little bit underplanned 
and uh, the equity holder, the value to equity is uh, uh, just flat, right? In that case, uh, the private equity uh, deal team would have to consider, uh, for example, reassessing the strategy that they had or reassessing their business plan, maybe changing management, right? They have to do something to reinvigorate the prospects of the company and uh, get it going again, right? Uh, and then they may decide that it's not possible and sell it uh, and just return the cost, uh, the equity cost. And there's a third scenario where the business is struggling, as you described. And uh, in, in that case, uh, the, the uh, private equity firm could decide to either put in more money, uh, equity to help the company turn around. They would probably change management and certainly we'd look at their strategy, we'd look at the business's strategy, or if it got into a really severe case, as I mentioned, it may be out of the private equity firms controlled at that point, and the banks take over and uh, try to restructure the business and may try to sell it to repay themselves. Great. Now, as a managing part, as a managing, a man, managing partner, how do you help raise capital? And what are the special aspects about raising capital in Asia or for Asian funds in general? Okay. Uh, well, private equity firms mainly raise capital from a, a number of institu- types of institutional investors. These could include sovereign wealth funds. So these are of wealth funds uh, created by governments uh, uh, to uh, grow uh, uh, national savings, uh, and they need to invest it into uh, different asset classes and uh, uh, grow that that uh, pool of funds. Uh, there could be uh, uh, pension funds. Uh, those are pension uh, plans for uh, states in the U.S. or provinces in Canada uh, or pension plans uh, for corporations. Uh, so those plans need to, uh, to uh, increase uh, their their uh, AUM over time, and they need to invest their uh, capital in different asset classes, including private equity. And you could also be raising uh, funds from uh, family offices. Uh, so those are the different types of uh, investors that are typically investors in private equity funds. And in, in terms, you raise capital by uh, working with your IR team to contact investors uh, uh, and explain your your fund strategy, the track record of your uh, firm, track record of previous funds, and uh, also explaining how your strategy may be different from others and how you can earn the, the returns that you st- uh, that are stated, namely 20 to 25% IR. And in terms of special aspects of raising capital in Asia, I, I think uh, that one of the things is that when you visit investors in the US or Europe, you may have to explain a little bit more what's going on in the different Asian markets, uh, in, in the private equity markets in Asia, and how they differ from the U.S. and Europe. Um, and in Asia, the complication is that uh, every country is quite different. Uh, the uh, the types of businesses available in each country are different because there are different stages of development. Their, their um, bank financing situation is different. So the bank financing is very attractive and plentiful in Japan. It's not that available in Indonesia because interest rates are very high there. And also, each country has a different set of private equity of players. Uh, and uh, uh, some are more very competitive markets and some are less competitive. So these are some of the things that are special about raising funds in Asia. Great. Now, are there major differences in buyouts in Asia versus the U.S. or Europe 
like you previously mentioned, but what, what do you think are the difference makers? Yeah, sure. Uh, in the U.S. and Europe, there are many leveraged buyouts uh, available. Uh, leveraged buyouts have been uh, in existence for probably 40 years or more. And uh, there, there's a routinely uh, a, a, a buying and selling of businesses going on. That can be uh, from a number of sources. Many large corporations in the U.S. and Europe uh, may decide that they uh, want to divest a division or a business, which then no longer fits into their strategy. So that's one way. That's what's called like a corporate divestiture or corporate carve-out. Uh, another uh, deal source could be uh, that a family uh, that owns a business decides that they want to divest it. They have no natural family members to run it anymore. They think they can maximize value by selling it. So, uh, And then uh, the third category would be private equity firms divesting of uh, businesses that they own after three or five years. So uh, there's a, a very large and consistent market for LBOs in U.S. and Europe. In Asia, that's quite different. There are much, much less LBO uh, deals. Um, that there, some more of the more mature markets, for example, like Japan and Korea, may have a bit more, and they're very rare in China and very rare in Southeast Asia as well. So in those latter two markets, uh, meaning Southeast Asia and China, there's much more of a growth equity market. So people financing technology firms in China or Southeast Asia, those uh, firms that are growing very quickly and uh, they need a lot of capital to grow. So that, that's uh, some of the differences between the markets. Great. So as a concluding question for our listeners, what advice would you give to young students or to your children if they had an interest in private equity or finance in general? Yes, I think really, uh, uh, if they have an interest, uh, they, they could do that. Make sure that they really have that interest. And the way to uh, do that is to really research the industry inside out. So uh, do a lot of reading and research uh, based on books or articles about the industry. That's one thing you can do. The next thing you can do is talk to uh, people who are in the industry. So uh, when you're a, a teenager or a college student or an MBA student, uh, it's uh, people at my age are very happy to speak to uh, students and talk to them about their industry and help guide them, right? Um, and you, can all, you should also ask uh, people at uh, different age levels, for example, 30, 40, or 50 years old who are in the industry and ask them what their life and their work is like, right? And you'll quickly figure out whether that type of work is suitable for you or not, right? Uh, because uh, when you talk to different people, of course, some people will find that uh, the private equity or finance is very interesting and very suitable. And at different times, age uh, ranges, they made a change and it may not be suitable anymore, right? And they'll figure out already that uh, their personality type or their skills uh, were not suited or well-suited for the industry. So I, I often have phone calls from students, uh, mainly uh, sons and daughters or friends, and they, they ask for advice and ask for an insight into what their work in private equity is like. And so I do share these things. And I also try to assess from my phone call or my meeting whether the, that student, uh, uh, based on my judgment, uh, has the, the suitable characteristics for it. So uh, really... Uh, you know, uh, go into finance or private equity 
if you've really thought through it and uh, feel that it matches your interests and your skill sets. Great. I think uh, our listeners will definitely take that into account. So, Roy, thank you for taking your time and sharing your story and expertise in leverage buyouts and private equity. I'm sure our listeners have expanded their knowledge in the fascinating, fascinating area of finance. So thank you again. Oh, thank you very much, Logan, for having me. And also, thank you for what, what you've been doing for uh, children, teens and students uh, all over the world to uh, help them understand uh, these different career paths and different industries uh, that could be interesting for their future. Before we end today's episode, here are some of the key takeaways from today's conversation. A leverage buyout is similar in the way you're buying a house. Let's say a house is worth $1 million, but the seller wants all the money in cash. You, the buyer, only have $500,000 in cash, so you have to go to a bank and get a loan of $500,000. The bank says, okay, we will give you 500000 but you have to pay an interest rate of 10%, meaning every year you have to pay $50,000. Now you use your own income from your daily job to pay off the interest payments every year. When the house does appreciate in value over 10 years to $2 million, you eventually sell it. So you now have $2 million in cash. You have 500000 back to the bank to pay off the loan. And because you paid 500000 on the down payment, you subtract $2 million from $1 million, and you just made a profit of $1 million. When it comes to LBOs, the income of a person's job would be the company's cash flows from operations, and the house would be the company. Now, moving on to why companies fail when using leverage. Leverage buyouts fail usually because companies who acquire the smaller company tend to take on too much leverage, meaning too much debt, and they are not able to pay off their loan to the bank, which leads to a default. As a result, you lose the company to the bank. This was evident in the 2008 financial crisis. Thirdly noted, a lot of people wonder why companies take on leverage when acquiring a smaller company. Well, private equity firms take on leverage when acquiring another company because they look for a rate of return on their investment to be 25 to 30%. And using quantitative analysis of the company, most companies are not able to guarantee that. So they use leverage. If a company was able to have consistent yearly returns of 30%, private equity firms would be more willing to not take on leverage. And lastly, private equity firms look for both a balance between positive qualitative and quantitative characteristics before acquiring a company, as they are trying to find the flaws in the company and improve them. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great day and stay safe.